This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're awfully glad you could join us again today. We're going to talk about risk management in the healthcare profession. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 90% of all medical malpractice lawsuits are brought by patients who have suffered permanent injury or by those representing someone who have died as a result of malpractice. And according to the American Medical Association, up to 225,000 deaths occur each year due to medical negligence of some nature. So to talk about all that is our special guest today. Deborah Price is a medical risk management expert in Lincoln, Nebraska. She's an RN with a master's degree in nursing education and a PhD in healthcare administration. Deb has been responsible for all aspects of risk management and collaborates with corporate, regional, and local risk managers from multiple healthcare systems nationwide to provide risk reduction strategies that effectively improve patient outcomes. And for the past several years, Deb has been developing continuing medical education based on claims data and clinical risk losses. Sounds like you've been very busy, Deb. I have been, and thanks for having me. Well, thanks, and welcome to Ringler Radio. Deb, there, there are many areas of concern, uh, you know, when we talk about risk management in medical malpractice uh, arena. But today, let's talk, uh, let's tackle a few areas involving the lack of documentation in patient care at hospitals and nursing homes. We're all familiar with doctors' instructions in writing and how they're often <laughs> not legible. So what problems, Deb, does that present when we're talking about patient charts, orders, and prescriptions? You know, most of these doctor's orders look like chicken scratch. How, how is that impacting your job in the risk management field? Well, Larry, legibility is absolutely huge. We're all in such a hurry to move on to the next task or the next patient that documenting just gets scribbled because, frankly, we just don't take the time to write legibly. It's very, very difficult to defend a record that's not legible. One of the messages I like to give physicians when I'm out doing educational programs is that you take with you to court only two things. One is your reputation, and the other one's your medical record. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when medical malpractice lawsuits aren't filed for several months or even a year or more after the event and, and probably don't go to court for several years after that, memories fade. And, and you're going to depend on the documentation you put in the record years prior to kind of refresh your memory. Well, absolutely. And... Obviously, this lack of uh, legibility is going to impact these uh, these lawsuits. So what happens, how difficult is it to understand what happens in a medical mistake case when you're looking at the record, and especially with all these pharmaceuticals that are being prescribed, with all these names that are very, uh, not, not only long, but contain, as you notice today, a lot of X's, Y's, and Z's. What, what happens? How does that impact uh, going forward on a case? 
Well, I'll give you a, a, a quick, uh, a, a little case study that uh, a case I reviewed not too long ago. Actually, the physician's handwriting was so bad uh, that the order was transcribed wrong, and so he had ordered uh, 30 units of insulin for a diabetic patient in the morning mm-hmm. and six, six, only six units in the evening. It was so bad that it was transcribed as 30 and 60. Mm-hmm. They actually gave the 60 units and the patient died. Wow. So, you know, th- those are tough, and it's very difficult and time-consuming to go through those records to understand what really did happen. I actually keep a magnifying glass nearby when I'm reviewing a record. Well, I, I, I need one, too, for mostly most everything I read these days. <laughs> Well, you know, but we're, aren't we moving toward a paperless electronic uh, information environment these days? Talk, talk about that. How is the electronic world impacting risk management? Well, we are. We are definitely moving to, uh, to an electronic world and a paperless world. And, and EMR, as I, as I refer to it, uh, the electronic medical record, that's certainly going to take care of the legibility issues. But there will be other issues to replace it. Well, uh, give me a, give me an example of something that. Well, was... the one thing that comes to mind um, that I see a lot is a cookie cutter look. So, actually, a lot of these systems are templated and have this copy and paste option. Mm-hmm. Providers tend to use that pretty freely. I get you. For example, I just reviewed a record, uh, and the the patient's symptoms and their history and physical were exactly the same for every visit over the past year and a half, even though that patient's health status had, had significantly changed. Well, some of that has to do, uh, I'll call it maybe laziness, but, but also with the, the, the amount of work that's done in each, in each hospital, in each environment, uh, that's probably the shortcut that people are taking in that environment, right? Well, you know, I, I think that's true. I think... Um, we tend to use drop downs and not expand and use that free type option that's available mm-hmm. and that can give it a real a real cookie cutter as i call it a cookie cutter look but really? lots of other issues well when, when is when is the deadline to comply with the with this new EMR approach isn't there a timeline that has to get met don't well, we all have to be there at a certain point in time when is that yeah but you know there really is and and what it deals with the with the Medicare and the Medicaid mm-hmm. providers, well, that's almost any hospital and, and, and almost any private practice. And so uh, HITECH, it's an acronym, the uh, Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health Act, uh, was part of that American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of '09. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of components to that act, and EMR is one of them. And basically what it established was a financial incentive and penalties for hospitals and healthcare professionals mm-hmm. to become meaningful users of certified interoperable EMR systems by the end of 2014. Now, actually beginning in 2015, Medicare and Medicaid providers not using an EMR will face some financial penalties and actually have a reduction in their reimbursements. So the race is really on yeah. to get everything up and running by 2013. Well, that's going to that's going to definitely drive it. You, you know, oh, the, it the, the, the threat of penalties always 
tends to right. get people's attention. And, and actually, some people are, are are jumping on the bandwagon right now because your best reimbursement and and, and financial incentives are actually in 2011. Mm-hmm. But after 2013, those drop significantly, and then they end, and uh, the penalties start in 2015. Well, you know, Deb, what about the whole area of uh, the, the new way we communicate? How are these iPhones, Blackberries, and all those other smartphones that medical professionals are using these days, how is that impacting uh, the arena that you're in? Well, very, very interesting. Um, multiple issues. Uh, HIPAA, yep. uh, who might get access, or if it's an EMR, who has access, under what conditions, uh, is it the entire record, is it just specific sections? I think one thing that people don't realize it is that every time you're in an EMR, your name, the date, and the time you are in there is stamped in that record. Now, it's not something that you're going to see. Mm-hmm. You know, it's behind the scenes. But it's there, and it's going to be discoverable and available to a plaintiff's attorney. Mobile devices that are used to transmit protected health information, or PHI, Mm -hmm. are covered under HIPAA. I gotcha. And so that should only be sent over a secure encrypted SMS if you're texting. And there's great resources out there to find this information. There's um, NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, has a publication on, on uh, guidelines for cell phone and PDA security. And the American Medical Association has some good information on their website. So um, I, w- I would suggest providers that, that uh, use that uh, go to there, uh, those mm-hmm. websites, but... Just for a second, back to the, to the EMR. Yes. I, I think it's so interesting um, because when you make an entry, let's as a provider, it timestamps and dates your entry right there on the record. You can see that. Okay. So what happens is if somebody doesn't document till the end of a shift or mm-hmm. or later in the day, you know, busy ER physicians. They don't always have time to stop and right. document, even in the electronic record. So what happens is somebody else comes in and documents, and the time is is stated and, and what they did and, and all of that. And you go to look at the record, and it looks like they were treated after they were discharged. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it, gets, it gets confused. And, I, and I'm sure the allegation is going to be made later at, at, at trial or in litigation that it took so long to document that some of the things were even forgotten or, or mis- misstated because of the sure. time. What about what about when, uh, and, and I assume somebody that has an iPhone, for example, uh, sitting in a, in a room could actually send whatever they, they document to the record uh, or maybe write something that, that they didn't expect to be in the record. And we've seen it on, on all these, uh, I know these criminal scenarios, that whatever you've emailed or whatever's in your, in your phone can somehow always be, be accessed. Even if you didn't think it was, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure those 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 uh, devices are going to have to be very carefully monitored. Uh, oh, for their, absolutely. For their use. Well, Deb, what about uh, errors of omission and and errors of commission when it comes to documentation? What what have you seen out there around the documentation? Well, Larry, one of the things that 
that we've all heard is that axiom, if it isn't documented, it wasn't done. Mm. Now, rightly or wrongly, that's been drilled in to healthcare providers for years. The thing is, there's no rule of evidence to support that statement. Here's where the issue lies. Providing something or, 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 or proving something was done when a plaintiff attorney is looking at the jury, has your documentation blown up on a big screen facing the jury, and they're asking, where's your supporting documentation indicating you did what you claim you did? Now, the plaintiff's attorney will likely encourage the jury to believe that statement of it isn't documented, it wasn't done, is true. But in actual practice, you can't possibly document every minute aspect of care. Now, if you're assessing a patient for respiratory distress and you don't document your assessment of their lung function, that could be a problem, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, if a doctor gives a nurse an order to give a medication and she gives it, but doesn't document it, that could be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how are you trying to educate healthcare providers to prevent all these missteps in documentation? Well, that, that is uh, job security. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, there's really, it never ends, does it? Yeah, it doesn't. There's really um, a lot of components uh, to that, but I, I have found that a good place to start is, is for me to critically analyze several of their medical records randomly picked and using an assessment tool that's designed to elicit information regarding the quality of their overall documentation, I can compile that information and determine where to focus education. Now, it might be as simple as saying, you need to dictate everything, mm-hmm. you know, or as complex as putting systems in place that are designed to assist them with their office practice processes. Well, and, you, you're, you were right when you said it's a never-ending uh, job security kind of thing. I, I, I'm sure that... Uh you work at this almost every day. Absolutely. Every day. Weekends are not immune. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, with that, let's take a short break and come back in a minute with uh, Deborah Price and talk some more about medical risk management and what's going on in this whole field today of healthcare reform. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. Over $23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free. 
at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you joined us. I'm here with my special guest, Deborah Price, a registered nurse and PhD in healthcare administration out in Cornhusker country in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we're talking about medical risk management. Uh, Deb, I'm sure there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on in uh, the risk management field when certain records are looked at and who did what. How are you dealing with the finger pointing? Well, you're right. It does happen. And, and negative comments regarding prior care are simply not professional. Regardless of who says it or to whom, um, if someone has concerns about prior care, there's a chain of command that needs to be followed. Mm-hmm. The other thing I've seen is blaming comments in a medical record. There's no place for that. Sure. You know, all, first of all, blaming and finger pointing has no place in a medical record because it's not related to the current needs of the patient. Uh, I think one of the, one of the things that I've heard over and over from patients is what led them to a lawsuit was that another provider told them that their prior care caused their adverse outcome or sure. that their prior care was substandard. Mm-hmm. I think that's totally irresponsible of any provider to say. Interesting. Um, it may be well-intended, but they weren't involved in that prior care. They don't have the first-hand knowledge that the other provider had. So... Actually, I think that the best thing to do as a provider, if you believe that your that the patient's prior care was substandard, your best option is to accurately and objectively document in the patient's record their condition at the time you assumed care. Interesting. Well, let's switch gears a little bit here. What's your uh, feeling about the trend today in, in medical lit- med mal litigation? Uh, are we slowing down a bit? in uh, the med mouth area, or does this down economy cause a, a lot more of it to happen? Well, you know, with, with tort reform in some of the states, there's, there's always going to be a number of lawsuits um, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that actually what we're seeing is a decrease in the number of lawsuits that are being filed nationally, mm-hmm. but an increase in the indemnity. So they're, they're, um, they're just simply yeah. bigger ones, but but not yeah. as many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know, medical malpractice lawsuits are so very, very expensive to try. And the preparation on both sides of the table is very costly and very time-consuming. Well, so it's also generally accepted that they're tough to win. I mean, They, they are tough to win. Yeah. Uh, they're very tough to win. And, and, and the cost that the plaintiff has to put into that before even going to court is in the thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and I, I frankly just think attorneys are being more careful and more selective about 
what cases they do take. Well, and I'm sure that's uh, that's an improvement on, on the past. Well, one of the key uh, issues, uh, Deb, that we've all dealt with and heard about is this health care reform that's been, you know, all over the place with President Obama, and, and obviously it's been going on for quite some time. One of the complaints you often hear in the debate is the cost of defensive medicine, that, that so much defensive medicine is being practiced to avoid being accused of not providing the proper care or, or being uh, accused of having, a, uh, you know, like a medical malpractice scenario simply because you didn't do the MRI. You should have. Uh, how, how have you felt this is impacting just the risk management area and, and secondarily uh, the, the total area of costs? Well, huge. Uh, and you're absolutely right. There's a lot of defensive medicine being practiced. And maybe we're even saying a little bit a little bit about that now simply with documentation because everybody is so worried about what they're documenting you know it the best thing for a physician to do is if they decide not to perform a diagnostic test or other intervention mm-hmm. that might be considered a standard for a specific complaint or even a differential diagnosis that they're considering they need to document their rationale for not performing that test. Interesting. They might have a really good reason at the time. Mm -hmm. But if they don't document the reason, a jury's going to to assume they didn't consider it at all. Yeah, they just neglected it. Yeah, right. Interesting. Well, another another thing that I've I've seen is hospitals who – who have purchased these large modern MRI machines, I mean, they need to use them. You know, they, yeah. need, they need to get paid, so they need to use them. So oftentimes, I'm assuming that you're seeing, uh, let's say, an MRI being being ordered when in a perfect world a few years ago it might not have been. Well, and in a perfect world several years ago it wasn't available everywhere, and some places still don't have it mm-hmm. at their immediate disposal. But, but you're right, they're very expensive. And I, and I personally like to think that a physician wouldn't order a test if it wasn't necessary. Uh, but we all know that defensive medicine is uh, uh, very much in the forefront. Yeah, and I'm sure there are also conflicts of interest uh, issues that arise if, if the ownership of the machine is such that uh, the, there's a benefit the more that, the more that it's used, the more that it's, it's involved in patient care. Mm-hmm. Especially when the patients being re- or the hospitals being reimbursed by an outside source like a Medicare or someone mm-hmm. like that, you know, that's a very. I'm sure you're involved in just a lot of that that uh, back and forth all the time. But what about these frivolous lawsuits? So you you mentioned that fewer of those are are, are coming to the fore uh, because of the nature of the expense of of filing them. Uh, right. Am I right about that? Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, we all um, we all remember the famous uh, hot coffee incident. Yes, McDonald's. And, and, you know, yeah, right. The media ran with that story and plastered it all over the papers. And when the jury came back and awarded nearly three million dollars, I think it was headline news for days. No question. Well, but but you know what? When when that award was drastically reduced. To six hundred thousand dollars. You didn't hear a lot about that. No, you didn't hear anything about <laughs> it, and most people don't don't know about it. So, I, and you know, I don't mean to minimize that the woman had burns and and required medical care, and that the suit 
was not without merit, but the, the jury award was outrageous. So I think frivolous lawsuits, meaning those without merit, are on the decline. And the use of medical experts her not, who, who may not be completely honest with their testimony, um, th- those are fading away because some of the national medical societies like um, ACOG and ASAP are getting involved in censoring physicians who are providing testimony that is, shall we say, less than honest or not accurate. Yeah, it's the old expert for hire. And, right. uh, and I think, uh, you know, most lawyers do a good job in, in poking holes in that kind of testimony, but the fact that they're out there is uh, obviously troubling. Well, anyone who has been in a hospital setting in their own family situation can't help but understand and realize that almost every medical professional out there is trying their best, and they work very hard in, in very trying circumstances to try to provide that patient care. What's the best course of action for a healthcare facility to maximize the healthcare that they provide and also just the, the image of it to the public that they, that they provide from a risk management standpoint? Um, million dollar question. Uh, and you're correct. I, I think medical professionals work very hard to provide the best care. I, I never once when I was uh, uh, working uh, out in the field, never once, got up in the morning and said, gee, I think I'll cause an adverse outcome today, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, we all try very, very hard. And, and the thing is, there is a direct relationship between patient satisfaction and lawsuits. And generally, patients are much less likely to sue their physician for an adverse event if they have a good relationship with that physician. So that means the therapeutic relationship is built on trust. And patients want honesty. And fortunately, medicine is moving to become more transparent, and there's this national push for full disclosure and apology, of which I am a proponent. Uh, And and so I think these are some of the main factors, but always, always keeping patient safety in the forefront. Well, I think you're absolutely right about relationships. I I had a personal situation with my mother where the the nurse that was handling her care was just so caring, an amazing person, and you get to know her almost as a as a family friend and a family member and a friend uh, as she treats your your loved one and the doctor. That relationship, if it's a good one and it's interactive, uh, goes a long way because uh, you know the outcome wasn't very good, but the the feelings around the people that were providing that care were excellent. So I think you're absolutely right. Any final thoughts for our audience about the whole area of risk management in the MedMal arena that you want to lay on us? Well, you know, I, I think it's not realistic to expect that you will be able to recall or accurately retell a situation like days, months, or even years after it happens. So, while it's not a legal rule, and perhaps it's even an idealistic fabrication, the phrase, it isn't, if it isn't documented, it wasn't done, may be good to keep in mind as you document your care. Because remember, you only take two things with you to court. Number one, your reputation, and number two, your medical record. Well, those are, those are good thoughts to, to remember, and uh, I'm sure a lot of us will do that. So, uh, Deb, if someone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do or talk to you, how would they do that? The email is the best way, mm-hmm. and that is djoprice52 at gmail.com. 
Well, that's great. Well, listen, if you're a first-time listener, everyone, you know you can download all Ringler Radio shows from ringlerassociates.com. In fact, you can find any Ringler Associate on ringlerassociates.com. Or you can go to the legaltalknetwork.com or even iTunes to get uh, the ability to listen to Deb talk about what we talked about today. In fact, you can uh, download it from iTunes, put it on your iPod, and walk around that uh, stadium out there in Lincoln, Nebraska. And listen, no to De- listen to Deb. You got that right. Well, listen, Deb, thank you very much for joining us. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening. Now go out and have a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its sixth year on Legal Talk Network with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, where experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.